Hi, it's Quinn, and you're listening to Not So Bloody Mary, the show about women in history with negative reputations. Enjoy the show! Hi, Grace. Hey, Quinn. How are you today? I'm swell. How are you? I am so relieved because I did my biology test and my math test, and now they're done, so they're not hanging over my head. Lovely. Yay! Okay. Hi, folks. Hi, everyone. What is up? If you're here from TikTok, hi. You're actually kind of terrifying me. Um, but we have, like, se- over 700 followers on TikTok, and I'm like, what is up with that? Stop. Damn. Don't actually stop. It's fun. Um, but, so, we- today, we are starting a new season, everybody, because... Our last three women were all from the Tudor time period, which is like 15, well, like 1480-ish to 1603 when our good friend Elizabeth kicked the bucket. (laughs) Goodbye. Um, And now we're going to go back a few, well, it's like around 150 years from Elizabeth's uh, timely death. She was old, so... It's not untimely, but we're going to go hang out in the Wars of the Roses time, which is super fun. It's literally just um, family drama, but using peasants as pawns to play chess with each other. That's what I call it. Yeah. So (laughs) that's so fun. But because the Wars of the Roses are like a bit whack and there's a lot to follow, This is an intro episode so that you can, you know, listen, figure out what's going on. Why are they all fighting the major fights? Because we're not going to talk about those in our episodes, like, super deeply. We're just going to kind of expect you to kind of know what's going on a little bit. But if you already know the Wars of the Roses, then you can just not listen, I guess. That'd be a little rude since you already started but you could just stop if you really want to do I'll just go you know cry (laughs) but um we're gonna be covering three women who were major players in the Wars of the Roses but they got reputations that you know weren't maybe what they deserved these reputations either came well they were literally alive and people were like wow she's a whore I hate her or um people were like people (laughs) Shakespeare were like wow she's like a she-wolf. She's so annoying. And then um, Philippa Gregory decided that you were an old hag and wrote you all mean. So that's fun. Lovely. Also, <laughs> side note, um, no. you can hear my sister, can't you? No, I can hear your dog. Yeah. Well, so side note, everyone. <laughs> we have a new dog and she's so annoying. She's and not even might... that new anymore. <laughs> we can't even use that excuse anymore. Um, literally and she's she, you may hear her barking her head off because she's, she's really annoying. excited i and mean you... my brother might randomly come in to charge his phone at some point so maybe we're gonna have a segue where you hear me yell at him but and hopefully you may not. also hear my sister because she just got home from um university you know and she's singing so she's always singing she's you might you might hear her as well but i just had to put in that she has a very good singing voice so if you hear her you shouldn't be mad just saying you can stop complaining but 
Yeah, we're going to talk about three of these women because we talked about three women from the Tudor times. And then we'll hop back, I don't know, to like Egypt or something and talk about three women that didn't do well there. I only said Egypt because I'm learning about that in ancient history right now. Do not like DM me all angry when we don't do Egypt next and be like, you said we were doing Egypt after the Wars of the Roses. <laughs> To be fair, like we might, but no, don't don't do that to me because I don't have that brain power right now. Not for it. But we're gonna talk about them in like kind of order of when they're like most important. So to start, we're gonna talk about Margaret of Anjou, my birthday twin, my fave. That's not necessarily true because I don't know if she's my fave yet, because I don't know a ton about her, but she's she's my birthday twin, so that is fun. Yay! Lovely. Then we're going to talk about my bae, Elizabeth Woodville. Um, she started from the bottom, now she's here. That's what you need to know. And then she went back to the bottom, and then she went back to the top, and then she went back to the bottom. So, fun! Lovely. Um, yeah, she's she is one of the grandmothers of Henry VIII. So there's a lot to unpack there. And then Henry VIII's dad's mom, Margaret Beaufort, who had Henry VIII's dad when she was... Wait for it. 13. Yay. Yay. It was her second marriage, I'm pretty sure, when she had him, too. Like, wow. Fine. That's why she she was literally on her second marriage. She was 13 years old, and that's why she died after her son. Just saying. If you marry young, you can die close to your kids. But don't do that. No. 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 Oh my goodness. I'm so tired, everyone. I am sorry, but my biology test took a lot out of me. It was it was a lot. I don't think Mr. Johnson will listen to this podcast, but I studied really hard for your biology test, so you should be nice to me. Okay, guys. So a little segue into this to start us off with the origins of the Wars of the Roses. Like, why did why were they fighting in the first place? Who cared? Why? What was this all about? Well, Edward III, our little king of England from 1327 to 1377, had a problem that Henry VIII did not have. He had five sons that survived to adulthood. Wow. That's pretty good, actually. Like, genuinely, that's kind of crazy. Because, you know infant mortality rate was like 25% back then so must have had a lot of kids good job buddy so his kids are in order Edward of Woodstock he's also known as the Black Prince which is a super fun name um I'm pretty sure it's because of like the color of armor that he wore um but he's chill if you ever hear about him he's the Black Prince probably to distinguish him from his father since they have the same name fun Next is um, Lionel, like the Boston Pizza mascot. Lionel of Antwerp. (laughs) No, Lionel, like the blue man. Linus. Um, Then John of Gaunt. That is the guy that married Catherine Swinford. And then that's where all the Lancastrian people come from. And then Edmund of Langley. Fun. And Thomas of Woodstock is the last little baby there. So because he's got so many kids, you know, not all of them are probably going to be king. So that kind of sucks for Thomas and Edmund because you're, like, pretty far down the line there. You've got, like, the heir and then four spares. So 
you're like not even really a spare part. You're just kind of chilling. But he needed to give his son something to be like, I was a nice dad. And also so that they could, you know, keep living at the quality of life that they were accustomed to. So in 1337, he gave Edward the Black Prince, the Duchy of Cornwall. Then he gave Clarence and Lancaster to Lionel and John, respectively. So Lionel got Clarence um, and John got Lancaster, which makes sense, right? One of the families that's warring is the Lancasterians. Mm -hmm. And then Edmund got York. So, you know, York and Lancaster. And then Thomas gets Gloucester. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right, but British people don't attack me. Many of your names have weird syllables and silent letters in places that they should not be. <laughs> like Lester. The only reason I know that one is because that was my teacher's name. But because they now have so many dukes, because like before they would have like two dukes at a time. So they've got like at least five now. That's too many. Now these lords, these dukes, can raise like an army on their own that they can trust because all these men that they have in their like little army when they ride around their duchy and they're like guys let's go fight um they the men owe their position to their little duke man there so a lot of the time this is this army is going to be even bigger than the number of people that the duke actually knows because if you're in the army you know you know let's say richard you're like yeah richard's my fave boy we're we're friends so richard asks you to be in his army and then you go find your friend um let's give him a name your friend um freddie because that's definitely a name from back then um and you're like hey freddie we should go join richard's army together richard doesn't know freddie but freddie knows you so freddie's like yeah let's go bud fun good time fighting <laughs> So under the reign of Richard II, this creates a power struggle with all the dukes because Richard wants to make his own army bigger as a counterweight to the growing armies of his nobles. Because obviously if all the nobles are like massive armies, Richard's kind of like small compared to theirs. If they combine, because they're like, yo, Richard sucks, then they can <laughs> overthrow him. So that, that wouldn't be fun for him. So also Richard II um, he doesn't do so good, so uh, that's Spoiler. fun for him. Um, <laughs> eventually, um, John of Gaunt, Richard's brother, am I right? No, I think at, at Richard is Edward, the Black Prince's son, if I'm correct. Um, so John of Gaunt, his uncle, I guess, um, can, you know, he get, did a little pow-pow with Richard. And then so did his son, Henry Bolingbroke. Bolingbroke, who knows? His name is Henry. Um, and then during the actual Wars of the Roses, the upset dukes like Richard of York and Warwick the Kingmaker um, could rely upon all these like servants and retainers and little military people that they have to be able to defy the authority of Henry VI, who we'll get to later. So... That's kind of like, now we know that there's a bunch of different boys. This dude had way too many kids. He needed to stop procreating. <laughs> that would have solved a lot of problems. Um, but Edward III dies in 1377. Goodbye. You're a rip. This is the guy that had all the kids. So this is like the root cause of the Wars of the Roses. He dies. 
who's going to like secede to the throne. Um, But unfortunately for everyone in England, Edward's two eldest sons, Black Prince Guy and uh, Lionel, the Duke of Clarence, um, predeceased their fathers. They were already dead. So now Edward has three sons that are surviving after him that have good claims to the throne, obviously, John, Edmund, and Thomas. But I was right. Black Prince Man had a son, Richard, because this guy has a better claim to the throne than all the adults, even though he's a minor, um, because the son of an elder brother has priority in the line of succession over his uncles, um, which is why Mary Tudor tried so gosh darn hard to have a baby because she didn't want Elizabeth to come to the throne. Yay! That was really fun for her. So much fun. Um, but Richard is a minor. He has no siblings on his father's side. I guess his mom did a little something something over there. I don't know. But he's got no siblings that have claims to the throne. And he has three living uncles. There's a lot of uncertainty over if we should actually let this little tiny kid who is 10 years old be king. (laughs) Because babies don't need jobs. Queen's podcast quote. Ten-year-olds also don't need jobs. I had a job at 10 years old, and I did not deserve it. I don't know why they gave me one. <laughs> it wasn't child labor, guys, because I actually don't know how it was. In my, um, <laughs> I was in newspaper deliver, and I got paid five cents of paper. I remember that. And I made $5 a week. <laughs> what? That's actually insane to me now. I make, like, three times that in one hour at actual work. Wow. Anyway, I was getting ripped off. I got covered in ink every week and I made $5 a week. Um, But yeah, Edward gets succeeded by Richard II when Richard II is 10 years old. Woo! Um, (laughs) So now things get a little complicated because all these dudes are dying and not having kids and doing all this stuff and ugh, so annoying. Why did my internet go away on my computer? Anyways, <laughs> under the laws of primogeniture, I, uh, that's like basically inheritance law in England. If Richard dies without a legitimate heir, like our good friend Edward VI did in 1553, 5, 4, around there, um, Richard's successors are the descendants of Lionel, the Duke of Clarence, because Richard is the son of the eldest son, and then Lionel is the second son. So all his kids would come after Richard because technically they're still in front. It's like if um, Prince William and Prince Harry both died, um, then Archie and Lilibet or whatever her name is would come before like Prince prince andrew um in the line of the throne um because even though they're kids they come before i don't actually know if they're still in there but let's say that they are i don't really pay attention but unfortunately (laughs) the duke of clarence only had a daughter what um that's fun (laughs) but her name is philip philippa which is a fun name. I love that name. It's fun. You get a bunch of cute little nicknames. But <sighs> Philippa marries into the Mortar family, and she has a son that she names Roger. I don't know why you would choose that name. Sorry to any Rogers that might be listening. But 
she names her son Roger. And Roger technically has the best legal claim of succession. But <sighs> Edward III messed everything up. <laughs> Just to stop, buddy. Um, basically, he said that only my male line can uh, succeed to my throne. So it doesn't matter that Philippa has a son, because technically, like, her son could succeed over her because she's a girl, so that doesn't count. Um, but that means that John of Gaunt gets to head up to that throne before Philippa and her son, because she's a girl. Yay! Yay! Um, so there's all this going on in the background. John of Gaunt is like, um, maybe I should be king instead of you since you're 10 years old. Um, so Richard has a kind of mess of a reign. There's a lot of increasing tension between him and then several of his most powerful nobles, which include his uncle. But even though Richard is 10 years old, he decides to rule without a regency council. They're letting 10-year-olds make decisions now. Don't think that's a smart idea. But they do this so that his uncle, John of Gaunt, can't have legitimate power. Like, he can't be the regent and just kind of do whatever he wants and then, like, stamp Richard's little 10-year-old signature there. Um, Richard does the same thing that Elizabeth I did, like, 150-ish years later. Um, he switches his choice of heir throughout his reign. So he's always like, oh, well, this guy could be my heir. Oh, but you could be my heir, too. Oh, maybe I'll let you be my heir. So that all of his enemies are kind of chill because they're like, oh, there's a possibility that he might choose me to be his heir if I shut up. Right. Yeah. So Elizabeth did that for a little while, too. But that's like a smart choice because, you know, yeah, girl. Yeah. then they're all kind of like, hmm. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Richard was not a war king. In Edward III's reign, they captured a lot of France, um, but that, that got recaptured by France. And so Richard had to negotiate a peace with Charles VI. Um, and this peace proposal effectively would have made England like a client kingdom of France. So France like would have been in charge of them, I guess. Um, yeah. And Parliament was like, absolutely not. Why would we do that? No. Like, that's stupid. You don't want to do that. This is what happens when you let 10-year-olds make decisions. It's true. So, so Richard, he's not probably not 10 anymore. He's probably like 14. Um, but he's like, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to negotiate a peace with Charles without seeking your approval. Not a smart move. So he agrees to marry his six-year-old daughter, Isabella of Valois. Okay. Um, yeah. So he, I, I don't know what's up with him. He's, I guess he is like a, an older person now since he has a six-year-old daughter. But because there's peace after he does this for a little bit, he punishes his political rivals. So when John of Gaunt dies in 1399, Richard says, Henry Bolingbroke, who's Gaunt's son, he says, get yourself to France, and he confiscates Bolingbroke's land and titles. Um, yeah, and then Richard decided to go on a military trip to Ireland. I don't know why you would leave the kingdom when nothing seems to be going right for you, but Henry Bolingbroke was like, hmm, I'm in France. He's in Ireland, so I can just hop on right over back to England. So he did that. He deposed Richard because no one really liked him, um, and then Henry Bolingbroke becomes... Henry IV, and he's the first Lancastrian monarch. That's important because that's the the one side. That's the uh, 
red rose white rose should i search that up yeah i should let's look guys which rose was the house of lancaster i actually should know this but i don't they were red they were red literally my favorite musical right now says that in the song why should I? <laughs> but now we're on the little subtitle called lancastrian claim these started out really nice um subtitles and then they switched to being um me surviving on not very much sleep so um i'll tell you guys all the subtitles when we get to them because i hate some of the people that are we talk about so they're very nice subtitles um, so this is called Lancastrian Claim, and it descends, the House of Lancaster descends from John of Gaunt. And if you're a Game of Thrones person, which neither of us really are, but, you know, I know about it, kind of. I watched, yeah. like, five episodes of you the first were, season. You were watching it for a little bit. Yeah, but then I gave up because Natalie Dormer isn't in until the second season. <laughs> um, and I didn't have the patience. It was kind of boring. But maybe if I try again, I'll like it more. Who knows? Anyways. Lannister, like the House of Lannister, we have the House of Lannister and the House of Stark in Game of Thrones, stolen straight from House of Lancaster and House of York, because George R. R. Martin says that he took a lot of historical inspiration when he wrote that series. So that's cool. Um, but anyways, John creates the House of Lancaster because he was the Duke of Lancaster. Um, which apparently held by right of his spouse, whose name is Blanche of Lancaster. Um, yeah, so that's fun for her, because all we ever talk about is him. But the Lancastrian claim on the throne gets preference from Edward III, which is why they are like, we have the better claim. Because Edward III explicitly emphasized that it had to be the male line of descent. So they're like, well, we come first. We are the best. Because we are boys. Um, and so then Henry IV based his right to depose Richard and assume the throne upon his claim. Um, because people could say, like, oh, well, we don't like Richard. But then it shouldn't be you, Henry. It should be Edmund, who's now the great-grandson of Edward III's second surviving son, Lionel. So Philippa is this dude's grandmother. But everyone is like, no, Mortimer. You have a grandma. That's bad. Um, yeah. So Lancaster said because he didn't have a grandpa that had a claim to the throne. Grandmas are awesome. Oh. Give your grandma a hug if you can. Um, yes. Happy birthday to Gracie's grandma tomorrow. Hey. Yay. Um, and then the House of Lancaster is also um, a branch of this is the House of Beaufort. Um so they're descended from John of Gaunt by his mistress, Catherine Swinford. Queen's Podcast just did an episode on Catherine Swinford. You should go check it out. It is funny and also very good. But because Catherine was his mistress, obviously the Beauforts were originally illegitimate children. Um, but then Gaunt and Catherine later got married after Blanche uh, died. Um, and so an act of parliament was like, yeah, they're legitimate. Sorry about that, guys. But Henry IV does put in a specific clause that they cannot succeed to, the, like, they don't have a claim to the throne. But that doesn't stop Margaret Beaufort. She doesn't care. She says, screw that. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. So now let's talk about the Yorkist claim. That's the other side. These are the white rose people. 
So, the House of York descends from Edmund of Langley. Langley is an interesting name. Sorry if you live there, but it's kind of cool, but also kind of weird. So, Edmund is the fourth son. Um, I don't even know. His primary title was Duke of York. Um, he acquires this in 1385. Richard II actually gives it to him. Um, but the Yorkist claim is also based on the female line of descent because this Langley dude, his second son, Richard, marries Anne de Mortimer, who is the daughter of Roger Mortimer and the sister of Edmund Mortimer. So Anne's grandma is Philippa of Clarence. So these people are all freaking related because it's literally just family drama. But basically... They have, like, around an equal claim to the throne, um, but they don't because they're from girls. Yay! Yes! Yes! Okay. So now let's talk about the Lancastrian dynasty because they get a little bit of time there where they're, like, recently, not recently, decently secure. So Henry IV assumes the throne in 1399. Then, in 1400, he immediately faces an attempted deposition. Yay! Um, The Earl of Salisbury, the Duke of Exeter, the Duke of Surrey, and the Baron de Penser want to reinstall Richard as king. Side note, Richard is imprisoned right now. Um, But then the attempt fails. All four of the conspirators get the chopping block. And Richard dies shortly thereafter by means unknown in Pontefract Castle, which means he probably got murdered. But, I mean, gotta do what you gotta do to keep the throne, you know? True, this is true. <laughs> so then Henry IV kicks the bucket in 1413, and he gets succeeded by his son, Henry of Monmouth, who's crowned Henry V. So this is the Henry, I'm pretty sure that Henry VIII had, like, a massive crush on. He really wanted to be Henry V, because Henry V was, like, a war king, and Henry's like, I'm a war king. Oh, I'm so cool. Um, side note, Henry, you are not a war king. You did literally, like, nothing to and you're not do cool. anything. And you're not cool. Um, but in 1420, Henry V and Charles VI of France signed the Treaty of Troyes. So this treaty disinherits the French Dauphin Charles from the line of succession, um, like, to England. Because France and England are, like, intermarrying all the time. So they're all... Some of the French people were like, we're the kings of England. And then some of the English people were like, well, we're the kings of France. Um, and then Charles, Charles's daughter, Catherine of Valois, marries Henry V. And then all of their future sons get acknowledged as legitimate successors to the French throne. That doesn't mean that they have a great claim, um, but they are technically allowed to succeed. They won't, but. Um, so the Duke of York died at Agincourt with no issue. Um, Then Henry V says to Richard of York, he's like, oh yeah, you can have that because Richard of York is the nephew of the Duke of York guy. So he's like, yeah, you can take it. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, Henry has three younger brothers. So he's like, guys, the Lancastrian claim on the throne is super secure. We are doing great. We are awesome. I have a new wife. I have three younger brothers, and I am healthy. I am, like, 35 years old. I am going to live so long. And then he dies. Um, 
Oh. Yay! So, on the 6th of December, 1421, his wife gives birth to a son, also named Henry. And then, the next year, on August 31st, Henry V dies of dysentery at the age of 36. Terrible way to die. And his son ascends to the throne at just nine months old. Babies don't need jobs. Babies can't rule. They can't, but they, they're, they are. They're doing it. That won't um, stop them from trying. That won't stop them from trying. <laughs> so Henry V's younger brothers produce no surviving legitimate heirs. They all just die without any kids. Um, and so only the Beaufort family are left as alternative Lancastrian successors. So basically, the entire hopes of the Lancastrian dynasty are pinned on this nine-month-old baby and on the Beauforts, which is going to become Margaret Beaufort and then Henry Tudor. Are not Bay, but don't have like anything against that one though. He's literally not the best after his wife dies, but before that, he's kind of chill. Um, so Richard of York, note the York, is growing into maturity, and Henry VIII, um, his rule is deteriorating. So York's claim to the throne is becoming more attractive. Everyone's like, hmm, looking over there. Side note. Cecily of York, Richard's wife. Super cool lady. Check her out. I have a book on her. She's real fun. Um, anyways, Henry VIII. Not Henry VIII. We are done with him. Henry VI gets crowned formally at the age of seven. So I guess they waited like a few years before they like made it official. But I would not trust a first grader to be my king. I definitely would not. Could you imagine? Absolutely yeah. not. So, <laughs> the marriage of Henry to Margaret of Anjou um, is negotiated. You know, it happens in exchange for the strategically important lands of Maine and Anjou. So, that's nice, I guess. You get some lands and a wife to have children. But Henry is a bit of a hot mess, guys. Anyways, on the 15th of April, 1450... The English uh, suffer a major reversal in France at Formigny, which paves the way for the French reconquest of Normandy. Not good. But, like, Normandy being under French control is, like, kind of good because that's, like, where we stormed the beaches at D-Day. And that was a major player point in World War II. There you go, Miss Match. I, I learned things in grade 10 history, Miss Match. I'm so proud of you. I actually don't remember, like, big things from that. I just remember really random things. Anyways, um, that same year, there's a violent uprising in Kent, which is often seen as a precursor of the Roses. But throughout all this sort of thing, Henry the King himself is not really doing much. He's got some pretty severe symptoms of mental illness, which are possibly inherited from his maternal grandfather, Charles VI of France. I believe Charles VI was the one who thought that he was made of glass, and so he made them like tie pillow- pillows to his arms so that he wouldn't break. So Charles VI is really inbred, and so he's got nasty mental illness, and he passed it on to his grandson, Henry VI. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? It's not like we knew that could happen. No. Literally, I I can't, though. I feel really bad for all these people. They need to stop marrying their cousins so that they can have good mental states. Um, But Henry VI is not a war king. He's described as more interested in religion and learning. 
Mm. Wow. He's so calm. He's so cool. Um, and then he is a very timid and passive person. Um, and he has an aversion to war. He's not always got the best intentions, and so he is an ineffectual king for the time. Now, he'd be a great king, because all he has to do is just chill. He can learn. He can go sign some things, cut some ribbons, wave to some cameras. So, he'd do great. But, um, actually, his mental illness might make him really inefficient, because I feel like this job would make you, like, want to die all the time if you had bad mental state. Fair enough. But... He is not a good king for 1450. Um, yeah, so in July 1453, the English forces in southern France suffer a major defeat at Castillon, and England loses everything in France that they have, except for the Pale of Calais, which shifts the balance of power in Europe back to France, and it also ends the Hundred Years' War. So, you know... Now people are like, wow, Henry really sucks. He just lost us a war that has been going on for a hundred years. So Henry suffers a complete mental breakdown. Um, as one does. As one does. But this is like a major one. He does not recognize his newborn son, son Edward. Like, he does not know that he had a son. Um, oh. His wife gives birth and he does not know. So... Bestie, you okay? Yeah, it would be that would be very sad for everyone involved. Not the son, because like baby does not know that his dad does not recognize him. Um, but like Margaret of Anjou must have been like devastated. Yikes. Yeah. And then on the day before her birthday, March twenty second, fourteen fifty four, Cardinal John Kemp, Kemp, who is the Lord Chancellor, he dies, and because Henry is mentally incapacitated, they can't get him to nominate a su- successor. So government in the king's name becomes constitutionally impossible. Lovely. Yay. So there's no central authority at all is what that means. um, Because he's off doing his own thing. um, And there's no Lord Chancellor to act in his name. So there's just a continued deterioration of the political situation, which makes the longstanding feuds between all these powerful noble families even more prominent. Um, And this creates a very volatile political climate, which is just completely ripe for civil war. It is ready. Um, Because Richard of York is, like, super powerful and he's got, like, all all these claims and everything, um, he gets appointed Lord Protector of the Regency Council that gets established because Henry VI is basically at the same mental capacity as, like, a child that can't rule on his own. So they appoint a regency council for him. So his wife, Margaret, is like, do not appoint Richard of York. He does not support us. Um, They have a little fight. They don't like each other. Um, But unfortunately, she doesn't really matter um, in terms of government, which is a little sucky. But he gets appointed Lord Lord Protector and Chief Counselor on the 27th of March, 1454. And then he appoints his brother-in-law to the post of Chancellor. Which means that the Nevilles, so his wife Cecily was originally a Neville, so Richard Neville is her brother. And so Richard of York is now backing the Nevilles against Henry Percy, Earl of Northumberland. So now there's even more fighting between families. But because Richard of York is like, I support the Nevilles, he gains a key ally, which is um, the Earl of Warwick 
who is one of the wealthiest and most powerful magnates in the kingdom. So he has a lot of ability to make a massive army. Crucial. Crucial element. Um, Also, side note, there's about to be a swear word, but Katie and Nathan call Earl of Warwick war dick. So that's fun. (laughs) Because he is. Um, True. Yeah. So Richard removes Somerset. Who's that? Some guy. He's one of the people on the opposite side of the fight. He moves him from his position. He puts him in the tower. Yay! Um, but then, in 1455, Henry makes a surprise recovery from his mental instability. He's like, I'm back, guys. You thought I was gone. You thought you could do whatever you wanted. Haha. <laughs> Sucks for you. So much of Richard's progress uh, gets undone. Somerset guy gets released, and he's restored to favor. Um, Richard is forced out of court into exile. Yay! Um, however, <laughs> Earl of Warwick and Earl of Salisbury back the claims of the rival House of York to control the government. So Richard's now starting to kind of set himself up as maybe an alternate king. People are like, hmm, our king, he's doing all right now. But who's to say that he's not just going to like completely break apart again? That wouldn't be good at all. Okay, so we're talking okay. about York's Rebellion, which is so fun. You can guess what happens during York's Rebellion. Wow. <laughs> Bet you couldn't understand. A rebellion? Wow. By York. <laughs> Whoa! So Richard is pissed off. He is not for this life anymore. He wants to be king. So he leads a force of around 3,000 to 7,000 troops south towards London, and they get met by Henry's force of 2,000 at St. Albans. As one does. That's maybe not the best, because there's at least a thousand-person gap there. Um, So, you know, this is the 22nd of May, 1455, and only 160 casualties actually happen combined, which is very good, because these are not... Richard and Henry are not out on the battlefield fighting. They are using their little peasants as their pawns. So it's nice that only around 160 of them died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Richard wins. It's very decisive. So Henry VI gets taken prisoner. Um, They found him hiding in a local tanner's shop, and he's abandoned by everyone around him. So that's sad. But yeah, Richard, most of his rivals are dead. The king is in his custody. He gets appointed Lord Protector by Parliament, and the Yorkist faction regains their position of influence. So because Richard now has political influence again, his allies start to rise. So Earl of Warwick goes super far up in life. Margaret of Anjou is like, I'm smart. You are a serious threat to me. So she tries to cut off Warwick's supplies, but unfortunately there's a French attack on Sandwich <laughs> um, in August 1457, and this ignites fears of a French invasion from the English, like for the English people. So Margaret has to concede and provide Warwick with the funding that he needs to protect the realm. But once again, in February 1456, Henry recovers his mental faculties and he relieves Richard of his office as Lord Protector. Um, I think that they just need to figure something out because this just keeps going back and forth and it's not working. But there's, there was peace for a hot second and now disorder's coming back because the Neville and Percy families are fighting again. The girls are fighting. Actually, it's the boys. But... Um, so Henry's like, oh, this is not good. 
let's try and broker a public display of reconciliation. So on St. Paul's at St. Paul's Cathedral on the 25th of March, 1458, he's like, guys, let's be friends. Um, but then, you know, the plotting starts again because they can't stop plotting. All they do is plot. I love yeah. the word plotting. It's so fun. <laughs> so Richard is forced to flee Richard of York because Henry doesn't trust him no more. So he has to go to Ireland because he's still the lieutenant of Ireland. Um, Irish people weigh in. This makes all of you really pissed off. Um, I don't quite fully understand all of it because I am from Canada. So literally no one here knows about that because we don't learn about it. Um, Because honestly, why would we have to in high school or elementary school history? But um, we learn a little bit about it. But this guy's little lieutenant of Ireland. So he goes to Du- Dublin, Dublin. He goes to the capital city of Ireland, I think, um, with his second son, the Earl of Rutland, who I'm pretty sure his name is Edmund. I think that I remember that from my book. Um, and so Warwick and Salisbury sail to Calais, and they are accompanied by Richard's heir, the Earl of March. His name is Edward. Um, he'll be important in a hot second. So in late June 1460, Warwick, Salisbury, and March come back to London, and everyone's like, yay, we love you, you're awesome. Um, yeah, then the Yorkists catch, catch up with the Lancastrians, and they defeat them at Northampton on the 10th of July 1460. The Duke of Buckingham, the Earl of Shrewsbury, the Viscount Beaumont, and the Baron Earmont are all killed because they're defending their king. So goodbye to them. For Damn. a second time, Henry gets taken prisoner by the Yorkists, and they escort him to London, and all the tower garrison are like, we surrender, we're sorry. So I think they put Henry in the tower. Um, I don't know. I guess he gets held somewhere that is secure. So um, Richard comes back from Ireland in September, and then in October at Parliament, he makes a symbolic gesture of his claim to the English crown and his intention to take it by placing his hand upon the throne. And the assembly is like, oh, it's like a big deal. <laughs> in the book that I have, everyone's like writing letters to Cecily. And they're like, did you know that Richard was going to do this? This was very inappropriate. He should not have done this. And she's like, mm, uh, sorry. Um, even <laughs> Richard's closest allies are not prepared to support such a move. Because up to this point, they kind of just thought that they were helping him like get the Lord Protectorship. They didn't really realize, like everyone was like, don't try to get the throne, buddy. No. Um so the judges assess Richard's claim to the throne versus Henry's, and they're like, mm, common law principles cannot determine who has priority in the succession. The matter is above the law, and so they pause their learning. That's helpful. Thank you. What? <laughs> they're like, Sorry, we can't help you. We're going to go read some books now. So... The nobility at this stage don't have any desire to usurp Henry, so a compromise gets reached. Um, the Act of Accord is passed on December 20, October 25th, 1460. So once Henry dies, then his son Edward is going to get disinherited, which seems mean. Um, and the throne is going to pass to Richard and then his son Edward. But then this compromise, they're like, no, we don't actually like this. Probably because <laughs> Henry was like, maybe I shouldn't disinherit my only son. For no reason. He never did anything wrong. Um, so now they're fighting again. Yay. The girls are always fighting. And you're caught in the middle. Yeah, literally. <laughs> okay. So now 
it's time for the death of Richard, Duke of York. That's a spoiler, but who cares? So, Queen Margaret of Anjou and her son flee to Lancastrian-held Harlech Castle, so they join Henry's half-brother Jasper Tudor. What? Um, and the Duke of Exeter. They're recruiting troops in Wales and the West Country. Margaret goes to Scotland um, because she's a girl boss, I guess. I don't know. She successfully negotiates the use of Scottish troops and other aid for the Lancastrian cause from the Queen Regent, Mary of Gelders, um, in return for, like, the surrender of some town that they lost. I don't know. Basically, she gets the Scottish troops, which is great for her. Um, They also negotiate successfully for the use of the French troops. Um, So basically, the Lancastrians are doing a good job. Good job, Lancastrians. And who's actually doing the work? Queen Margaret of Anjou. (laughs) Go off, girl. Um, So Richard of York, his son the Earl of Rutland and Salisbury leave London because there's a massive Lancastrian threat in the north. Margaret has raised a massive army. So on the 16th of December, 1460, Richard clashes with Somerset's forces and he's defeated. Sorry, buddy. Um, On the 21st of December, he reaches his fortress of Sandal Castle near the the town of Wakefield. Um, And for reasons unclear, he left his camp on the 30th of December. Don't know why. Um, and in the ensuing battle, Richard, his son Edmund, so his second son, and Warwick's younger brother, Sir Thomas Neville, are all killed. They are dead. Yeah. So, yeah, so now there's like a whole other thing. So everyone's like, wait, what? What happened to Richard? Who's going to take the throne now? Well, guess what? The next subtitle is called Edward Claims the Throne. Wow. <laughs> So, following the Yorkist defeat at Wakefield, Richard's 18-year-old son, Edward, is now heir to the Dukedom of York. So that means that he inherits Richard's claim to the throne. Um, So, Margaret's troops and the victorious Lancastrians move south, and Warwick, with captive Henry VI, so they have the king captive, um, they move the York forces to meet the Lancastrian forces at St. Albans. Um, And the York forces get defeated by Margaret's troops on the 17th of February, Henry gets recaptured by the Lancastrians, so he comes back. But unfortunately, um, the Lancastrians do have the strategic advantage, but London didn't really like them. They were popular in, like, the North, but London was all for the Yorks. So the citizens literally refused entry to Margaret's troops. Like, "Mm, here you go, Margaret, Lancastrians. No, sorry, we don't want any here. They just, like, shut the walls. They say, get out. So, <laughs> Warwick and Edward are like, hmm, let's take some initiative. So, they march to London, and Edward gets proclaimed Edward IV of England by a hastily gathered assembly. Edward is a much more attractive prospect as a monarch. Um, contemporaries call him energetic, handsome, affable. They say he strikes an imposing sight in full armor. Um, so, basically, Henry has a lot of physical and mental frailties. So, compared to a young dude like Edward, he doesn't look so good. So that's sad for him, but I like Edward the Fourth. So, yay, he's on, he's king now. So yeah. Edward and Warwick go north because they're like, we got to make sure that no one can take my crown. So they go to confront the Lancastrians, and Warwick can, clashes with the Lancastrians. He gets wounded. Nothing really happens. Some of his commanders get killed. 
But then on the 29th of March, um, Edward, King Edward, engages the Lancastrians' main army um, near Towton, Yorkshire. And this battle that follows is the largest and bloodiest battle ever fought on English soil. I don't know if that was at the time or if it's now, but it was a massive fight. A lot of people died. Um, and it results in a decisive triumph for Edward. Yay, Edward. Oh. So, um, yeah, everyone's fleeing now. If you are, like, a Lancastrian supporter, you're either going to die or you're going to leave. If you're, like, a massive Lancastrian supporter. If you're just, like, some random dude that, like, lives in some random town, no one cares about what you do. But if you're, like, massive, you're getting out. So Henry, Margaret, and their son, Prince Edward, go to Scotland. Because, remember, Scotland helped them out before. So yeah. I guess they're, like, our friends. Um, Edward goes back to London for his coronation. Warwick stays in the north to kill the resistors. Um, and then they confirm to the people of England that Edward is the uncontested ruler of England, at least for the time being. Like that little thing there. Okay, here's our next part. It's called Edward is King. Dot, dot, dot. For now. Yay! <laughs> This is where I started getting tired of writing subtitles, so they get a little weird. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So Edward is formally crowned King of England on June 28, 1461 in Westminster Abbey, which is Henry VIII's birthday. Um, also Miss Matchett's birthday. <laughs> Better person to be born on that day. And also the day that actually started World War I. So that's fun. But Edward is being king right now. None of that stuff has happened yet. That's kind of cool. But it's kind of cool. Edward wants to win the affections of his vanquished foes. So he's like, hey, guys, I know, like, I just defeated you at battle. But can we be cool, actually? Because I kind of feel bad about it. And I'm king now. So you should probably listen to me if you don't want to die. That's a little caveat there. <laughs> so he pardons <laughs> most of the Lancastrians. Um, he's like, sorry, I know y'all fought against me, but we're cool. We're cool. Um, they just have to submit to his rule. And he also lets them retain their property and titles, which is very nice, actually, because normally if you, like, fight against a king in war, they're not going to be that nice to you. Yep. I guess kind of fair. Kind of fair. Um, <laughs> but Warwick gets pissed off because three years after Edward's coronation, um, Warwick has been working to marry Edward to a French princess named Anne, I believe. Um, he's been working super hard. He's been, like, negotiating. And then in October 1464, he discovers that in May, Edward actually married some random girl named Elizabeth Woodville. How what? You... <laughs> so, how does... <laughs> how does one do that? Basically, Elizabeth Woodville is the widow of a Lancastrian noble named Sir John Gray. So Elizabeth already has two children. Um, she has, she actually has 12 siblings, so she comes from fertile stock. That's nice. Mm -hmm. She's going to have lots of kids, guys. Um, some of whom married into prominent families. So these Woodville people are uh, already a powerful political establishment independent of Warwick's control. So Warwick doesn't really have control over Elizabeth and her family is kind of, they can do whatever they want. Um, this move by Edward demonstrates to the people that Warwick is not the power behind the throne, as many people assumed. So a lot of people thought that Edward was kind of like a figurehead, and Warwick was kind of doing everything. But this shows that Edward has a mind of his own, and he'll do what he wants. 
basically the way that they say Edward and Elizabeth met is we'll go deeper into this in her episodes, but they like met in like a like randomly, like he was just like kind of chilling near her house, and then they got married. <laughs> um it, yeah, and then he hid it for four months. But no one likes this. Everyone's like, boo, we hate Elizabeth. She sucks. Because Edward's privy counselors are like, um, she's not the daughter of a duke or an earl, and you're the king. <sighs> Classism. But um, <laughs> Warwick tries to restore his lost influence by going back to the best ever accusation for a whim- woman for many hundreds of years. He accuses Elizabeth and her mother, Jaquetta, of being witches. Wow. Um, Jenna Luxembourg is actually pretty interesting. Pretty sure Queen's Podcast an episode on her as well. You can go check that out. Um, So this ploy is unsuccessful, um, but doesn't completely sever the relationship between Warwick and Edward. I'm sure Elizabeth was like, maybe you should stop talking to him. That's kind of mean. He just tried to, like, actually have me killed. Um, But... Yeah. Edward's choice of bride is going to plague him politically for the rest of his reign. No one liked her. No one liked her family because um, (sighs) Edward gets opened up to accusations that Warwick has actually been intentionally deceiving the French into believing that the king was committed to marrying their princess, which isn't true. He went behind Warwick's back because he's fun like that. Um, He's literally like 22 years old. Of course he's going to do that. But Meanwhile, Elizabeth's family starts to get some pretty important positions. So no one's really liking that. They're like, this girl is too powerful. Why is her family getting all these positions when they're just like random people? Mm, I get nervous. Yeah. So they have some kids, but they don't have any boys. So that wasn't very helpful for them. They had a daughter named Elizabeth. Maybe she'll be important later. Continue. The, <laughs> the next subtitle, because Henry and Elizabeth, not Henry, Edward and Elizabeth only have daughters so far. They've got our fake girl, Elizabeth of York. They've got, actually, I'm going to search it up because it's really bothering me that I don't know their names. Edward the Fourth Children. So, they go. Okay, why aren't you putting them in birth order? <laughs> What's going on here? Um... <laughs> This is actually really bothering me, guys. Maybe we should do it in order. Maybe that's how it works, actually. Maybe. Um, chill, chill, chill. Chill, we chill, need the chill. Music? <laughs> yes. Um, I think. <laughs> I think they named their children. Um, that well, there's Elizabeth and then there's Cecily, then maybe Anne. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, so it goes Elizabeth, then Cecily, and then it appears they actually then that was just them, and then it goes Edward the Fifth, then it goes Anne. Mm, no, actually, they just don't like girls. Never mind. Well, they at least have Elizabeth. So she's first. I know she's the oldest one because everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're having a baby. Maybe Elizabeth Woodville will finally do something right. And then she has a girl and they're like, oh, well, no. (laughs) Yeah. So our next subtitle is called Warwick is a War. Expletive warning. Warwick is a War Dick. (laughs) Yeah, because he is. Basically, 
Warwick is like, I don't, I'm not really liking Edward right now. He's kind of being mean to me because he has a girlfriend now and he, well, a wife. He has a wife now and he doesn't pay attention to me and he doesn't like me and he's letting her family tell him what to do. And that's supposed to be my job. I'm supposed to tell him what to do. So Louis, the 11th of France is like, hey, Warwick, maybe you should like re-reconcile with Margaret of Anjou in order to restore Henry to the throne. (laughs) Um, so Warwick is like, yeah, I love going behind people's backs and doing mean things to them. So Warwick agrees to marry his daughter, Anne, to Edward of Westminster, who is the um, son of Margaret of Anjou and Henry VI. So Warwick's other daughter, Isabel, is already married to Edward IV's brother. So now he's got daughters on opposite sides of the war, which I think is just mean to do to them. But yeah. he's... <laughs> road so um there's a whole thing going on here basically george of clarence who is the husband of warwick's other daughter actually decides that he doesn't want to be friends with his brother anymore he decides that he wants to be friends with warwick because warwick is fun um so warwick and clarence launch a two-pronged invasion of england at dartmouth and plymouth on your birthday, 13th of September, 1470. Wow. <laughs> um, Warwick's brother joins him because he's bitter with the king that him supporting the crown during the preceding revolts didn't result in him getting his earldom back. Poor baby. Um, so Edward <laughs> is like, uh-oh, invasion. So he rushes south to meet the invasion. Montague's forces advance from the north. So the king's got himself surrounded. So Richard, um, Duke of Gloucester, Gloucester, I don't know. Edward's younger brother Richard and Edward and a few hundred people go to Flanders on the 2nd of October because that was then part of the Duchy of Burgundy, which was actually his ally. If I remember correctly, um, his aunt was like the queen or regent or something of Burgundy. Someone he's related to? No, it was his sister. His sister is hanging out in Burgundy, I think. Um, so, because Edward has fleed, Henry VI that's restored to the throne. They need to stop. They need to decide. But that's why these are wars. Because they can't decide. Um, so, basically, Warwick now has... Basically, he's in charge of the throne because Henry is Henry. Um, that's fun. This man just, like, switches back and forth so that he can have power. Um, Respect for that, but also I hate you. Um, (laughs) In November, Edward is attainted as a traitor, and his brother Clarence is awarded title of Duke of York. However, unfortunately for Warwick and Clarence, Henry's new regime is precariously unstable. Um, That's fun. (laughs) So Edward comes back. Edward comes to Ravenspurn in Yorkshire on the 14th of March, 1471. Um, he gets joined by troops under, oh my gosh, name we might know, Sir William Parr? What? Who <laughs> thunk it? Um, and Sir James Harrington. So he's got all these troops now. So Clarence is like, hmm, I'm feeling a little politically disadvantaged because I decided to hang out with Warwick. So he <laughs> abandons Warwick and he joins his brother. He's like, remember how I actually like abandoned you? Well, I'm back now. Sorry about it, guys. Take me back. (laughs) I made a little bit of a mistake. So Edward's army goes rapidly to London. They take Henry prisoner. He's now kind of like old and feeble. So I bet it wasn't very hard to do it. 
Um, and they send him to the Tower of London. So right now, Margaret of Anjou and her son Edward are leading French troops. But they're on the continent. Remember, England is an island. So there's bad weather and they cannot sail across the channel to help Warwick get reinforcements. Um, but even though Warwick doesn't have reinforcements, he says, screw this. And he marches anyways. Um, it wasn't a great um, decision for him. Because he's going to die. Yay! So, the two sides meet in battle at Barnet on the 14th of April, 1471. Due to terrible visibility and the similarity of Edward's heraldic son to the Earl of Oxford's star, the Lancastrians actually attack their own men. So, um, yeah. They they kill each other. (laughs) Um... Yeah, that this was a whole like little cartoon in my horrible histories book when I was little because it's <laughs> so sad actually because like what are you doing? Um, but Warwick's army gets destroyed. Warwick is unhorsed and he's killed. This is a catastrophic blow for the Lancastrian cause, and the Neville family's political influence is broken forever. Hey. <laughs> um, even though the Nevilles do get defeated, um. Margaret actually manages to land her forces at Weymouth, and she augments her army with recruits from the Welsh marches. Um, The survivors from the battle before where they attacked each other still rally around her. So on the 4th of May, 1471, Edward intercepts and engages her army um, at Tewkesbury, and he defeats it. And unfortunately, um, the, I guess, Prince of Wales, you could call him, kind of, Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou's son, Edward of Westminster, is actually killed. So, bye, buddy. Um, Yeah. On the 21st of May, 1471, Henry VI dies. Um, It's widely suspected that Edward ordered his murder. Honestly, Mm. that's not very surprising. I feel like that's something that, like, most people would do if they were in that position. Margaret of Anjou gets imprisoned. Um... Yeah, then she's ransomed to France in 1475, but right now she's in prison. Now we're at the next subtitle. Edward is king again! Yay! Um, Whilst Edward has been fighting, his wife, side note, has been in sanctuary while heavily pregnant and has given birth to a son. Yay. Good job, girl. Basically, she was, like, alone with her, like, five-year-old and three-year-old daughters, and then she had a son um, without her husband there while living in a church because she was in fear for her life. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Good job. I think I would have just like started crying (laughs) and not stopped. Um, But Edward's reign after this is actually pretty peaceful domestically. In 1475, he invades France. um, But then he's like, no, sorry. He signs a treaty to not do that anymore. In 1482, he attempts to usurp the Scottish throne. But eventually he's like, no. Um, then in 1483, his health starts to fail. He's not very old. He's, like, in his 40s, I think. And he falls fatally ill. Um, so, yeah. He names his brother Richard to act as Lord Protector for his 12-year-old son and successor Edward, which will ultimately be the undoing of his, his immediate family. And on the 9th of April, 1483, Edward IV dies. So, we had a nice few little like 10-ish years there where everything was kind of chill people didn't really like elizabeth woodville but no one was like getting in like wars over it they were having kids they had i think it was like six daughters and three sons but one of the sons dies and so does one of the daughters um 
Yeah, but now we're on to the second last subtitle. Yuck, this is about Richard. Ew. <laughs> yeah, I did a whole, actually, archaeology report on Richard because they found his body in a parking lot. And I got oh. 100% on it. So Richard and I are old friends, but actually I don't like him. Um, okay. Yeah, but I used him to get 100% because he has a cool story. So during Edward's reign, his brother Richard um, is the, now that he's risen throughout his reign to become the most powerful magnate in the north of England. So he has a bunch of allies once Edward dies. Um, and so all his little allies are like, dude, Elizabeth Woodville's family is going to make a massive news that they have the king under their control and you don't. And so Richard's like, that's actually probably going to happen. So I'm going to leave to go to London. So he's like, yo, Eddie, let's meet each other at Northampton and then we'll travel to London together because I'm your favorite uncle, Richard, and we love each other. <laughs> um, following Edward's death, Dowager Queen Elizabeth has actually instructed her brother, Anthony Woodville, who was actually Edward's favorite uncle, probably because he was his like little, he basically ran his household. So he was kind of like at his house all the time. They're besties. Um, so Elizabeth is like, yo, Anthony, can you please escort Eddie to London with an armed escort of 2,000 men? Because who knows? Someone might try to kill him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Richard comes to Northampton and he's like, what? Anthony has already taken him somewhere? What? So yeah, he's pissed off. So on the 30th of April, 1483, Richard has Anthony arrested. He has Elizabeth's son from her first marriage, Richard Gray, arrested. And he has Edward's Chamberlain. Don't know why this poor man is getting arrested, but Thomas Vaughn, he is being arrested. Um, and then Richard's like, hey, Edward, sorry about all that. Let's go journey to London together and get this. This is spooky, actually. Edward enters the Tower of London. He will never come out. Um, he enters it on the 19th of May, 1483. What? Mm. That is the day that Anne Boleyn died. That is the day that Elizabeth I got released from the tower after her sister thought she started a rebellion. Um, we're just all getting put in the tower or leaving the tower on the 19th of May. That's <laughs> just spooky to me. Um, that's pretty weird. Yeah, that's, that's a little too weird for me, actually. But yeah. This little 12-year-old boy gets put in the tower, apparently to keep him safe, but he'll never come out. So mm. there's some theories about that. Maybe that will be a mini-cast episode, maybe, because it's complicated. But Richard of York, like Duke of Gloucester, is like, hey, Elizabeth Woodville, um, you know how Edward is like in the tower? Well, he's kind of lonely. Maybe his younger brother should come hang out with him, too. And Elizabeth is like, oh, I don't know. That's like my only other son. Kind of want to keep him with me. And Richard's like, no, maybe you should put him in the tower right now because I said so. <laughs> so Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, is put in the tower. He will also never come out. I believe he is 10 years old when this happens to him. Mm, so, funny. yeah. And then Richard beheads Elizabeth Woodville's brother, her son, and that random Chamberlain man that he picked up and arrested. So they all get beheaded. Um, yeah. It's a hard life right now. <laughs> yeah. Richard is Lord Protector, obviously, um, because he is in charge of Edward, little boy king, who is Edward the Fifth, but 
you know, a lot of people forget about him because he doesn't really ever get to do much. Um, Richard repeatedly stalls the coronation of Edward, um, despite the urgings of the king's counselors, because they all want to avoid another protectorate because we saw what happened last time. Um, then Richard accuses the Lord Chamberlain of treason, and he has him executed without a trial on the 13th of June. This was a stupid move because this dude was really popular. And now everyone is like, um, what? There's a lot of controversy because this guy was really loyal to Edward. So this continued presence would have presented a major obstacle to Richard's path and securing the throne. So maybe there is a reason behind him, beheading him. Then some clergyman dude informs Richard that Edward IV's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville was invalid because of Edward's earlier union to a lady named Eleanor Butler, um, which I don't think has ever been confirmed at all. Um, he just kind of made it up, which thereby makes Edward V and his siblings illegitimate heirs to the throne, which means that they can't inherit the throne. Hmm, Grace, I wonder if this was true or not, or maybe if Richard just made it up so he could be king. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Wow. <laughs> On the 22nd of June, which was actually the selected date for Edward's coronation, there was a sermon preached outside St. Paul's Cathedral declaring Richard the rightful king. And then they're like, Richard, you need to accept it. And four days later, Richard's like, okay, guys, I'll accept. I'll be king. Um, and he's crowned at Westminster Abbey on the 6th of July, 1483. Then... Edward, the little boy king, and his brother Richard, the even littler boy prince, um, have completely disappeared by the summer of 1483. Um, yeah, their fate is unknown. The most widely accepted explanation is that they were murdered on the orders of Richard III, who is Richard, this dude that we're talking about right now. Um, and then we get the moms doing mom things and creating awesome stuff. So Elizabeth Woodville... Um, allies herself with Lady Margaret Beaufort. What? I thought they were on opposite sides. No, because they're both annoyed with Richard. They are mad at him. So Lady Margaret Beaufort starts to actively promote her son, Henry Tudor, who is a great, great, great grandson of Edward III and the closest male heir of the Lancastrian claim as an alternative to Richard. And then Woodville proposes to strengthen Henry's claim by marrying him to her daughter, Elizabeth of York, because she's the only living heir to Edward IV. So we see what we're doing here. We're uniting the red rose and the white rose and creating the Tudor rose. Because Henry's like, yeah, I probably need that Yorkist support. He promises his hand to Elizabeth well before he plans to invade England, which makes many Yorkists to abandon Richard. Remember, Richard is a Yorkist. Like, so all these people would support him instead of the Lancasters. But then they're like, wait, we actually really liked Edward IV. This is his daughter. She's marrying this guy. So he must be cool. And this guy that's on the throne right now might have killed Edward's sons. So they don't like that. So they decide to hang out on, like with Henry. They're like, we like him now. So most people are kind of pissed off at Richard now. And yay, things are starting to happen. <laughs> We are at the last subtitle now, guys. This is called Henry is King Because He is Smart and Marries Elizabeth. <laughs> Yay. She actually probably has a better claim to the throne than he does. <laughs> Let's that's say that. And then that, that's fun. He actually refused to let her have her coronation um, for like a long time. And a lot of people think that it's because he wanted to make sure that he could be crowned on his own so that people would say that he was king on his own and not by the right of her. 
Yay! Um, so, Henry secures the patronage of the French regent Anne of Beaujeu. I think that's how you say it. She's in the musical that I really like too, and she's real fun. She's like super angry in it. It's kind of fun. Um, she gives him 2,000 troops in support. Overseas, Henry relies heavily on his mom, Margaret, to raise troops in support for him in England because he like can't be in England. Like He's been told that he should not be there or else they will kill him. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, because he's the only remaining Lancaster in air, so that's right. fun for him. He's like, I'm actually going to try and become king now, guys. I've got the Woodvilles backing me up. So he sets sail from France on the 1st of August. So his force consists of his English and Welsh exiles, along with a large contingent of French and Scottish troops. And they land near Dale, Pembrokeshire in Wales. Um, This actual return to his Welsh homeland is regarded by some as the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy um, to restore their country to glory. Henry amasses an army of approximately 5,000 troops to confront Richard. His um, Richard's lieutenant in Wales, Sir Walter Herbert, fails to move against Henry. And then two of his offer- officers, Cooper what? <laughs> Whatever. Two of his officers desert to the Tudor claimant with their troops. So, you know, things are not looking great for him. Richard's lieutenant also defects. Um, so everyone's leaving him. And now Henry has crossed the English border when the mid- we're in the middle of August now and he's advancing on Shrewsbury. Richard orders a mobilization of his troops, finally. The powerful Stanleys assembled their bannermen upon hearing of Henry's landing. So they actually, like, we, don't, we didn't know what they were going to do until the battle started. They've been talking to Henry. They're, like, kind of friendly with him. But they've got, like, massive forces, but they don't want to pick a side until they kind of see what's going on. Which is kind of smart, low-key. They're staying neutral until something major happens so that they know that they're on the right side. Yeah. Um, so on the 22nd of August, 1485, Henry Tudor's forces, which are actually outnumbered, engage Richard's army in the Battle of Bosworth Field. Um, yeah, so Henry is winning. So Stanley's forces are like, yeah, we're joining him. And that is like the tr- turning point for Henry's army. So they decisively defeat Richard. Um, King Richard is killed um he becomes the last english king to die in battle which i guess is kind of a interesting title to have um richard's ally the earl of northumberland flees the duke of norfolk is killed and the earl of surrey is taken captive the earl of surrey is going to become i think anne Boleyn's grandfather or great-grandfather great-grandfather yeah they're all linked guys they all marry each other um <laughs> Henry claims the throne by right of conquest, retroactively dating his claim to the day prior to Richard's defeat. <laughs> so he's like, guys, I actually started being king on August 21st, not on August 22nd. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and then Henry gets crowned as Henry VII of England on the 30th of October, 1485, in Westminster Abbey. Henry marries Elizabeth of York on the 18th of January, 1486, and she gives birth to their first child just hmm, eight months later. Hmm. Uh, Prince Edward. Hmm. Not Arthur. Arthur. Yeah, Prince Arthur. Our little bay. Then he died. And that was fun for everyone. Um, <laughs> but the couple's marriage appears to have actually been a really happy one. They seem to have had a chill time. Henry in particular is very noted for being uncharacteristically faithful. Like, we don't know of any confirmed mistresses that he had. Yeah. So, good job, buddy. There was maybe some girl that he, like, kind of 
flirted with a lot, but we don't know if he ever actually slept with her. And then Henry and Elizabeth's marriage unites the rival Lancastrian and Yorkist claims since their children inherit the claims of both dynasties and there's not really anyone else left to, you know, take that away. But there is still paranoia that anyone with blood ties to the Plantagenets is secretly coveting the throne, which is why Henry VIII killed his governess. And that's where we end, guys. That's the end of this. Wow. So, I don't even know what to say. You should all just wait until the next episode comes out because it's going to be so fun. And um, we're going to learn about Margaret of Anjou and... uh, that will be fun because I feel like a lot of people don't know very much about her, myself included. I'm excited to research more, but it might take a little while because I have to find a book about her and all the ones that are that I can find are written in like 1930, so I don't think they're very like good sources. No offense to whoever wrote them, but like <laughs> that's a little too old for me. That does not pass the C part of the crap test. It is not current. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god not the crap test not the crap test okay friends and gentle people if you want to support our podcast you should go follow us on social media not so bloody mary underscore podcast on instagram and tiktok we are mm, something on twitter search us up on there i don't ever post on there i actually forget we have a twitter um and then you can if you want to you can leave a review or rate us on apple podcasts um because that helps more people find us you can if you really want to leave a voice message on anchor.fm slash not so mary we would love it that would be a whole extra level of committed um you could dm us on instagram too if you wanted to tell us something we have had like two people do that um yeah you should just tell your friends tell your family tell Tell your your dog. dog Oh my god. Same brain. Psychic. Um yeah. Have a great time, everybody. Great should they do. I think they should make like a, a Google slide, like a slideshow presentation <gasps> of just like random stuff. And so like, you know, those like slideshow nights that you can do with yes. people. Do one of those. We but, should like, have even one of you, those. We should. Even if like <laughs> you don't have people to do it with to just mm-hmm. make it for fun because they're so fun they're fun i have one on why henry the eighth sucks um i have another one called a simp slideshow where my friends and i put pictures of people that we simp for in the slideshow Beautiful. Um, I and mostly that. you go through it and you laugh at what other people are simping at because it's really funny uh, <laughs> like a lamp it's, it's, it's as a an lamp. example a lamp oh my god uh, I'm not going to call that person out, but yeah. <laughs> I think I know who it is. <laughs> Probably. Anyways, <laughs> I hope that everybody has a great night and day or whatever. Um, for anyone who is listening that is um, stressed right now about things that are happening, I know that we do have some listeners that are from Ukraine. Um, we are sending all of the love and support and virtual hugs that we can to right now because things are scary especially if you live in europe we are very lucky that we do not live in europe right now all of my good crystal vibes are coming your way and if you don't want crystal vibes quinn will pray for you yeah like kind of i'm kind of bad at it but i will (laughs) we're sending good vibes in all the forms we're sending good vibes in all the forms so we love you all we hope you all have a great time here's a kiss on your forehead and um yeah we'll talk to you guys later have a nice 
night. Because it's <laughs> night now. It's night for us. Okay. Peace out, Home Slices. Love you all. Bye. Bye.